Hey, welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, Ministry of Greater Worship Christian Church in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Apostle Robert Enos. This is where we talk about the issue the church faces and how the church should respond to those issues. Here we will talk about doctrine, theology, politics, social and cultural issues, and how the church is to deal with these things. So get ready for a large dose of truth and get ready for the tables to be flipped. Here at Table Flippers, table flipping is what we do. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. I really, again, I know I keep saying this, but I really hope you're getting something out of these podcasts, something good, something positive. I hope that it's challenging you, but in a positive way. I hope these podcasts are causing you to kind of analyze and look at your own life. I know they can be hard-hitting sometimes, but look beyond that, please, and look at the principle or the idea or the truth that's coming out in these. Because quite frankly, this is how I kind of do my life. I'm constantly, I, I think I'm my hardest critic in my in my life. I, I don't know what's made our world so soft that you can't hear a truth in just a direct black and white manner. That, But many people, not all, but many people have just lost that ability just to hear the truth. Today I'm going to be dealing with chapter 6 from my book, Time for Transition. The name of this chapter is The Challenge of Kings. This deals with the story of King Saul being commanded by God to go and absolutely wipe out and destroy the Amalekites. And the command was for him to wipe out everything, all the people, especially the king, uh, all the what would normally be spoils of war, the animals and such. Everything of the Amalekites was to be completely and utterly destroyed. And even though the command was very, very clear, Saul left with a very clear command. Well, he didn't follow through, all the, at least all the way. They went in, they destroyed the city, they killed, what's interesting is they killed all the people except the king, King Agag, and they took the choice animals for themselves. And that's kind of where I want to pick up on the story. Let me just read a few quotes from my book and a few passages of scripture. Out of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So because Saul, King Saul, didn't follow through completely with the command of the Lord, destroy everything, and he kept the king alive, which is strange to me, but he also kept the choicest animals. That's not so strange to me in that sense. You got this perfectly good little lamb over there. Why destroy it? Well, because God said to. There's reason for it that I don't want to get into right now, but there is absolutely a reason why God wanted all of that destroyed and all the people destroyed. But Saul, it's interesting again, that he wiped out all the people, including the children, but he kept animals alive. That tells you where Saul's heart really is. He's not only being disobedient to the Lord, but in the strangest of ways. He is showing compassion to the wrong place in the wrong places and with the wrong things. He has more compassion for animals 
or a, a greater heart for animals, and there's reason why, but nonetheless, for animals than he does even the women and children. Very strange. In verse 12, it says, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. So it's, again, this is so profound and interesting. Saul actually thinks he did such a great job. Even though he wasn't fully obedient to the Lord, and he knows it, but he does such a great job in his own mind that he sets up a monument to himself. Now, it doesn't really say what that monument was. Was it a statue? Was it a plaque? Was it a pillar? Whatever it was, it was to himself and for himself, basically saying, in essence, look what a great king I am. I am powerful in battle. I wiped out the Amalekites. Look at me. And what's interesting was God was not impressed and neither was his representative Samuel the prophet. They were not impressed with Saul and his supposed victory because it was not really a victory. Oh, in the natural, he had a victory over the Amalekites. All of them except the king was wiped out and a few of his animals. But nonetheless, in God's eyes, it was not a victory. And in Samuel's eyes, it was not a victory because he wasn't fully obedient. Let me read this from my book after, after reading verse 12 about how Saul set up a monument for himself. It says, this is fascinating verse. This shows just how detached Saul was from God and his will. While God is telling Samuel he regretted making Saul king, Saul was building monuments to himself. Saul saw his campaign against the Amalekites as a complete victory, but God saw it as a failure. Often, church leaders fall into this trap without giving it a second thought. Churches exist all over the globe that promote the pastor more, more than they promote Jesus. These are men and women that are too busy building monuments to their own glory when they should be exalting the name of Jesus and his word instead of themselves. And this, unfortunately, is very true. I've seen this over and over and over and over again. Here in my own hometown, we have many small churches. It seems as if a new church pops up almost every week. One of the things that I've noticed about many of these churches is that they appear to be no more than monuments erected to their founders. I've driven by some of these churches that have built large banners with the church's leader, the church leader's face and name as big as day, but the only mention of Jesus might be somewhere in the name of the church. Many have pastor appreciation events, which, which are not entirely wrong, but I have yet to see Jesus appreciation events in these places. In other words, many of our churches today are built on the carnality of another that exalts man more than God. As I wrote a few lines prior, the spirit of Saul is alive today. And that unfortunately is true, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm sure that if you really take a moment to think about it, uh, you would find that this is true, maybe even in your own hometown. And if it's not, 
thank you, Jesus, that there's actually some churches and pastors out there that exalt the name of Jesus more than they exalt the church leader, the pastor, the apostle of that place. But it's time to really get our hearts back to full and complete obedience to God and building monuments to Jesus and his glory than the glory of man. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said in in the book here, there's nothing wrong with Pastor Appreciation Day. Pastors and, and church leaders, they do work hard. And many of them really have a pure heart or a more of a pure heart. And those are not the ones that I'm trying to knock or bring any kind of correction to or rebuke to. It's the other ones. And and I know you've seen this. You drive by and there's a big banner like uh, they, they put up a church. And they put a big banner up for maybe a special meeting or maybe that's just their advertisement. And they have the pastor's name up there. And, and usually it's with a great title like the Supreme Reverend uh, Just Below God and Higher Than the Angels so-and-so. Okay, I just made that up, but you get the point. And then the big picture of the pastor, maybe the first lady, his wife, and then somewhere, somewhere, and usually maybe in the name of the church or something, they might mention Jesus or that it's a Christian church, but it's more about that pastor, that leader, and getting his name and his face out there. And, and I find this very, very strange and odd that we can exalt man more than we can exalt Christ and think it's an okay thing and think we can just get away with it. As if um, respecting and honoring our leaders, which we should, somehow trumps respecting and honoring God. It's back to this Saul thing. It's partial obedience. Partial obedience. We are to honor those that God puts over us but not at the expense of God himself. And Saul had that problem. Yeah, 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 go in there and do this. He did it halfway and expected not only the people, but God and Samuel to just honor him and and lift him up. And he, to the point that he was so arrogant and pompous, he went and built a monument to himself in the middle of his disobedience, blinded, to his disobedience because of his own arrogance and his haughtiness. Let me read uh, verse 15. We're still in 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to read verse 15. Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, when Samuel catches up with Saul and starts to question him, what is going on here? Why weren't you obedient? Why are these animals still alive? Here in verse 15, we find that Saul says they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, the people. Now, Saul is blaming the people instead of taking responsibility for himself, showing again weak leadership. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. Now he spiritualizes his failure. The people spared them so they can sacrifice to the Lord. And then he says, to the Lord, your God. Not only is he spiritualizing this, but in a a roundabout way, he's even placing the blame on God and even on Samuel. Look it. 
This is your God. This is what he wants. And the people are just giving your God what he wants. What an attitude. And again, I hate to keep harping on this, but I've seen this type of thing in leadership. And I have to say to my own shame, and yes, to my own shame, that I struggle with this at times. When I don't feel that the people are doing what they should be doing, I want to blame them. But if they're under my leadership, the buck stops with me. And I'm learning that and I'm trying to train myself. And this is not an excuse. Please don't misunderstand my next statement. This is not an excuse for my failure. It's a reality that I'm dealing with, but it's not an excuse. It's still my failure. We've just lived in a world where I have literally been trained to pass the buck. We see this all the time. We see this from our governmental officials, people in politics. We see this um, from leaderships, from parents. Uh, we see this from uh, those in in any type of power. Bosses, you know, managers on the job, they tend to blame the people underneath them for not doing the job when something goes wrong. Politicians end up uh, blaming other people instead of their failed policies, and the list can go on and on and on. So we see it all the time, and we're inundated with it all the time, and we tend to take those things upon us. Very similar to the way Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. We tend to take upon the nature of the people and the culture and society around us. But it doesn't give us an an excuse out for our own behavior. And that's the point I'm trying to make in that sense. So yes, even though I can sit here and say shamefully, but honestly, it's a thing I struggle with, I'm aware of it. And I'm aware that this is my issue. The reason I'm telling you this is not just to expose myself or to become vulnerable, Although that sometimes helps because now I'm accountable to you to not do what I was just talking about. But to help you understand that it doesn't matter if it's part of the culture of the world or society around us. Sin is still sin. Failure is still failure. Weakness is still weakness. And disobedience is still disobedience. So if we are disobedient to God, regardless of the reason, we have no true excuse for it. I mean, there might be a reason... After Saul gives his excuse about the people sparing the best sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, he also says, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Like, hey, what's the problem, man? The rest we utterly destroyed. What I wrote in my book says, now the excuses begin. Notice how Saul tries to spiritualize his disobedience. He starts by blaming the people and saying, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is carnal behavior. We do not want to take responsibility for our actions and failures, so we blame someone else. This type of blame shifting began in the garden after the fall. After Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit and God came to meet them in the garden, God asked Adam why they ate the fruit. He told them was off limits. Adam's reply, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave of the tree and I ate. Not only did Adam pass blame, but he passed blame ultimately to God. Most people may not go so far as to blame God, but most of us struggle with shifting blame just as Adam and Saul did. 
Saul had the chance at this point to repent and come clean. Instead, he begins throwing out excuses as to why it was not his fault for his disobedience. It was the people. They did it. They made me. What's interesting is in verse 16, it says, Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? And he goes on to tell him how God is replacing him with someone better. But in verse 17, it says, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Remember how we spoke in, in a previous podcast about Saul's low self-esteem? And that's what Samuel here is referencing. When you were little in your own eyes. Another, and another way of saying that is, you had such a low self-image of yourself and God still chose you. God still made you king. God still saw past your faults and your failures and your weakness and made you king because he saw something great in you. You couldn't see it because you were little in your own eyes. And that's what making all these excuses truly comes down to, and regrettably, even in myself. When we start throwing out blame and we start um, blaming others for our own weaknesses, our own faults and failures, it really is we're not sure of ourselves. It's not coming out of a place of strength. It's coming out of a place of weakness. It's not coming out of a good self-image or a good self-esteem. It's coming out of a weak or low self-esteem, a low self-image. And that's something we need to understand. These are signs of weakness, not to run away from, but to, to face, to repent of, to deal with, and turn into a strength. Instead, we try, to, we try to spiritualize it the way Saul did, try to spiritualize it, and then turn it into a strength, which is a false strength. We need those Samuels in our life that'll just tell us, shut up and listen to me. Get over yourself. I speak like that and I get hate mail. And it's okay, keep it coming. That's fine with me. You know, but that's what God puts out there. And that's the what we need sometimes. I'm not saying all the time. Sometimes we truly need a shoulder to cry on. But when we're really getting foolish with our own weaknesses and our failures and our sins, the way Saul was, and we're trying to spiritualize our failures, trying to spiritualize our disobedience, try to spiritualize our sins, we need somebody who loves us enough to come and stick their finger in our nose and say, shut up and speak some common sense to us in a manner that we'll get it. I call that the two-by-four ministry, but sometimes we need that. Honestly, I'm just going to be honest and real with you. We have had too much niceness, too much nice, kind, sweet, little flowery words in the body of Christ, and not enough shut up kind of words. Not We haven't had enough Samuels that will just come in and say it like it is. Now remember, Saul was the king. He was the ultimate ruler in the nation, not Samuel. Samuel was the spiritual leader, but in the natural, the king trumped even that, in the natural. So when Samuel says to Saul, shut up, be quiet, he literally could have lost his head that day. King Saul could have looked at him and says, you never talk to me that way. Come, Somebody come over here and cut off his head. And guess what? He would have lost his head that day. 
So he took a big chance in that sense. But regardless, we need some Samuels to rise up in the body of Christ who will not just take chances, but will just stand strong regardless and will be obedient regardless. And when those around us, those especially say kings in the business realm and such are getting off and being crooked and not walking right and living right and being disobedient to the word of the Lord, the Samuels need to go into their offices, into those um, chambers, into those boardrooms and say, shut up and listen to me. And I, it would be my hope that those these modern day kings in the business realm and the educational realm and the political realm would listen to the modern day Samuels. But let's face it, there's not enough Samuels out there to even consider listening to. There's not enough Samuels out there that are going to come with the true word of the Lord, especially a rebuke or a correction. We have too many so-called prophets that just want to be the bless me prophets. Oh, by this time tomorrow. And what they've become more than anything is more like psychics. Oh, by this time tomorrow, you're going to meet a dark, tall, handsome stranger who's going to be rich and sweep you off your feet. Those are the types of thus saith the Lord's that we're receiving in the body of Christ. And in the same manner, the carnal, natural world gets caught up with these psychics and palm readers and such. The, the Christian world's getting caught up with the psychics in the church that call themselves prophets. But I'm telling you, we need some true Samuels that have come along and tell us, be quiet and listen for once. Quit passing blame and listen to the word of the Lord. This is what's going to happen even if it's a rebuke or a correction. Because the, the reality of it is, we're not getting it, ladies and gentlemen. The church is not getting it right now. We're not really getting it. We're not really understanding what God is doing or why he's doing or how he's doing or through whom he's doing it. We're too busy building monuments to ourselves, putting our face out there. I remember the first time that I traveled overseas, I was asked to be a guest speaker at a church in Africa. And first time I went, it was exciting to me and everything. And they wanted all kinds of pictures from me and bios from me and everything. And I, I'll be honest, I was bothered with that because I understand that, you know, it's not a sin to put your name out there so people can identify it. this is the guy that's coming to bring some ministry to us and everything. But my face was the most prominent face on that flyer and on those billboards. And my name was the most prominent name on all of the advertisement. And of course, it needs to be somewhat prominent because people can make that identification. But what bothered me is I never wanted to take the place of Jesus. I never wanted to be bigger than him. And I don't know how you get a true picture of Jesus on a flyer. You can't. But it bothered me that it's like, how do we get Jesus in there you know, how do we get Jesus in there more than me? How do we promote Jesus more than me? How do we promote Jesus more than the next speaker, the next guy? Uh, you know, and, and I know it's one of those things that we have to struggle with because we don't really have a picture of Jesus. And if you do, it's probably a fake one or a painting. But my point is, we need to have our hearts right, number one, and put Jesus out there. We need to be 100% obedient to his word, 100%, not halfway, because half obedience is no obedience at all when it comes to these things. Again, another quote from my book, partial obedience is not obedience. 
especially when we know exactly what we are supposed to be doing. In verse 22, it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Verse 23, this is very important. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Now, there are so many places that we can go with that, but it's so true. When we are disobedient to the Lord, even in the least of things, that's akin to witchcraft. When we are stubborn, and I'm not saying stubborn for the things of God, but our stubbornness causes us to be against or disobedient to the things of God then that's um, rebellion. That's, that's, that's idolatry. So when we're not obedient, we're stubborn against God. It's as if we're in false worship, witchcraft. And witchcraft is always, not sometimes, always associated with the demonic. Another quote from my book, disobedience to the command of the Lord is rebellion. And rebellion is witchcraft. Who you obey is your God. I'm going to say that again. Who you obey is your God. Obey the commands of the Lord and he is your God. Follow your own heart and lusts and you have become your own God. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that is the foundation of Satanism. Remember the five I wills that Lucifer said that caused his fall. I will, I will. It was all about his will not God's will. And he fell because of that. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. When we do things our own way, instead of God's way, we are engaged in witchcraft. This is no small thing. God wants our complete obedience. Anything less is sin. Verse 24 says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. So even though Saul admits his guilt and admits that he transgressed the commandment of the Lord, why did Saul disobey God? He feared the people and obeyed their voice. Remember, Saul wanted to return home after three days of searching for his father's donkeys because he feared that his father would become worried about him being gone so long. Saul worried too much about the people and what the people thought of him. In this story, he admits that he feared the people, so he obeyed them as if they were in control. The king of God's people gave over his authority and rule to the people he was supposed to be leading. By his actions and choices, Saul showed that he still carried a low self-image of himself and that he held the people in higher regard than the Lord and his commands. I said earlier in one of my podcasts that many pastors, of course, not all, but many pastors are so egotistical. They care more about how they look or appear to people than they do God. And we see this in in the life of Saul. 
So when I say that the spirit of Saul is alive and well, it's alive and well in the church and in many of our pastors and leaders. They become so egotistical. They have to dress a certain way so they can wow the people. They look good to the people. They rise above the people. Not because God wants them to dress that way necessarily, but because they want the people to be wowed by their presence and what they dress and what they drive and how they live. They want to put this impression out there. And not a righteous spiritual impression, but this impression of look how cool, look how good I am. Equating their spirituality with the suit that they wear or the car they drive or the home they live in. And it's all ego. Verse 26 says, verse 26 says, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Because of his disobedience, God rejected Saul as king and found someone else to replace him. Samuel told Saul that God found someone who is better than you. Samuel pulled no punches here. Saul was rejected by God and Samuel informed him that God had chosen someone better than him. Can you imagine hearing these words from the premier prophet of the land? Verse 30 says, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. Notice he kept saying the Lord, your God, instead of my God. So Saul had this struggle. He never truly made the one true God over Israel his own God. He always said, it's your God instead of my God. That's very interesting. He said to Samuel, listen, I have sinned. So he admits his sin. I have sinned. But then he goes on, yet honor me now. After all of that, I don't know about you, the last thing I would be looking for is honor from the very prophet that just told me I was being replaced. Please don't misunderstand me. I would like to think I was humble enough to fall on my face and start repenting before God and crying out, even ask begging Samuel, please cry out to God for me. I repent. I will do whatever needs to be done to, to, to not face uh, what I'm about to face, to not have God turn his back on me. I would like to think I would do that. But what is Saul looking for? Oh yeah, I've sinned, but honor me now. He is still wanting honor. He is still, and he says, before, honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel. He was still more concerned with how he looked to the elders and to all of Israel than how he looked to God. He didn't care about Samuel. He didn't really care about Samuel at all at this point, except for the fact that I can still use Samuel to make myself look good as I stroll through town with my head up high like I did something spectacular. And if Samuel's there with me, the premier prophet, everybody will think that I'm cool. Everybody think that I'm great and great honor will be, will be turned towards me. I will look good before the elders and I will look good before all the people. He is still concerned with how he looked he could 
That's how deep set that low self image is. And that's what people with low self images do. That's what pastors and church leaders do. The reason they're egotistical is because they truly have a low self image that they're trying to, instead of facing it honestly and dealing with it, repenting of it and allowing God to change them, they're looking for some outside source to come in. Inwardly, I have a low self-image. I don't feel good about myself, but if I can get all these people to think I'm really cool, I won't have a low self-image. Now, maybe they don't quite say it that way, but that's kind of the thought process behind it. And it's all fake and it's all false. You can only make somebody feel good about themselves for a little short while. It's like a drug and they'll continually need that drug when they need to be delivered of that low self-image. So instead of being delivered, Saul just sought for another fix. He was out for another fix. He wanted to shoot up or do whatever he needed to do to feel good about himself. In this case, if the elders think I'm cool, I feel good about myself. If the people of Israel think I'm cool, I feel good about myself. So Samuel, I still need you. Right now, Samuel was his, um, his dealer in that sense. And, he, and it, through that dealer, he was going to bring, there was going to be honor given to him from the elders and from the people. And it was all because of his low self-image that that was uh, um, hidden behind that egotistical attitude of how he looked to the people. So in this whole story, he's building monuments to himself. He's being rejected by God, but that didn't seem to bother him as long as the elders and the people uh, um, held him in high esteem. And as long as at least Samuel rode next to him on his donkey with a smile on his face, like, hey, look at this good guy. You know, it didn't matter to him that he was rejected. It didn't matter to him. And this is what's so frustrating that I see in the body of Christ. You know, there's so many pastors out there, so many church leaders. You can go into their church and and things look good. They sound good and they look good in that $1,500 suit. They look good driving that Mercedes that's in the parking lot. They look good up there with the marble uh, podium and everything like that. But God is not in the house. There is anointing zero in the house. And it's frustrating that it's like, you can't see this. You don't care that it's like God is treating you like Saul and has rejected you and he's out there finding a David right now. You don't care. And honestly, many of them don't care. They really don't know. They don't care. And then when they do have a so-called prophetic voice around them, it's one of those, you're the best. You're wonderful. God's blessing you. Oh, there's more coming. He's opening doors for you. And I'm not saying a true path prophet can't say those things but those guys in that situation they need a samuel to come up and say be quiet shut your mouth and let me tell you something about what god says about you that's what we're needing in our day and age unfortunately we've literally gotten that far away from the presence of god and the will of god that we're like saul halfway obedient but expecting the blessings of full obedience and again it doesn't matter how obedient you were. If you weren't 100% obedient, you were never really obedient. And many are doing that. They say, do this. I I remember years ago, there was a very well-known preacher and he was saying how God called him to go to uh, South Africa. And that caught my attention because I have a real heart for South Africa. I've been there many, many times. And he says, God put South Africa in my heart and told me to go to South Africa. He says, but I won't go to South Africa until. 
I have enough support. He wanted $50,000 a month of continual support for South Africa. Yeah, $50,000 a month guaranteed before he would go. And he was reprimanding the people because his his pledges did not come in for $50,000 a month, every month, so he can go to South Africa. I almost fell out of my chair because number one, just be obedient and go. I've never spent an any given one time more than $5,000 on any one of my trips to South Africa. Did phenomenal ministry, great ministry, was able to bless people there in many ways, even meet some good people. Over time, we built several churches and never did it ever cost me $50,000 a month, every month, to do some great things in South Africa. And we were part of an organization that we built at that time 11 churches in South Africa in the townships for those who didn't have churches. Met and ministered to many pastors and even governmental leaders there. And it never cost us $50,000 a month, every month. That's the kind of nonsense that I'm talking about. That's the kind of egotistical, self-centered, self-absorbed nonsense that I'm talking about. I'm not going to go unless I have $50,000 every month to go. I mean, what is he going to do? If God's calling you to go, you go. And if the best that you can afford or the best that they could put you up in is a grass hut in a field, you stay in the grass hut in the field. If you have to drive around in a hoopty or walk because there is no car, guess what? Then you'll walk. Why? Because you're being obedient to the Lord. You're not setting yourself up as God and saying, I'm only going to go if I can fly first class. That's nonsense. It's ridiculous. That's embarrassing. But you go because it's you're being obedient to God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we need to be. And that's what we need to work on. Stop making excuses and start being fully and completely obedient to the voice and to the will of God. If he tells you to do something, do it 100%. Don't cut corners. Do exactly what he told you to do. And try not to add to it or take away. But just do what he told you to do. If he tells you to build a church, go build a church. If he tells you to go to Africa and preach the gospel, go to Africa and preach the gospel. If he tells you to, whatever it is, it could be anything. Give a certain amount of money to the church or to some charity or to some organization. Give that amount of money. If he tells you to go get involved, go get involved. Go go give them your time and your attention. Don't wait for first class tickets. Don't wait for the Rolls Royce procession to come up and pick you up at the airport. Don't wait for first uh, uh, for the most expensive and nicest hotel in the city. Just be obedient. If God tells you to go out there and feed the hungry, go feed the hungry. Do the best that you can with what you have, and God will add when he sees your obedience. And that's the way it works. And that's not only for pastors, that's for you and I, that's for every one of us. That's what Saul should have done. That's what Samuel was trying to get to. And that's what I'm trying to get us to in this day and age. Consider me a modern day Samuel that just comes along and says, be quiet and listen to me. And there's time, ladies and gentlemen. You may have failed before, but simply repent, then gird yourself up and go be obedient to the full word of the Lord. Thank you for joining us here at Table Flippers. I would love to hear from you. You can find my contact information at 
www.gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Please let us know how we are doing. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments. Have a fantastic day.